This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. I'd like for you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2. In these particular series, there, there are no, um, believe me, if there were alternate words that I could insert, I would try to say, Spirit of God, would this work for you? But I believe that he has given me what he wants me to say, and sometimes they're hard sayings, they're difficult sayings. In fact, there's an instance in Scripture when Jesus was even teaching himself, and the Word says that the people responded, this is a hard saying. And I find myself in a manner just like this. These are difficult words. They're difficult sermons because what it does these sermons should motivate us to get out of the realm of complacency or apathy and move us to where we need to be servants of God. I think there are three primary responses that people could have to this entire series. One, we could see the need and we could buckle up our shoe laces and we could say, count me in and get ready for the, for the battle. Or we could sit here like deer in headlights, or we could run for the hills. So you see what I mean? And I'm, I've tried my best to look for alternate illustrations and examples, but I believe I have what the Lord wants us to have. And by the way, the Word does say that He and all acknowledge Him, and in all thy ways He will direct our paths. So this morning... I want you to really think about what we're talking about because I realize today's message, there's going to be a little pause until we get to sermon number seven. And I hope that the impact of the message today will linger in your hearts and minds until we can conclude it. Today's message is talking about serving together side by side. And I want you to patiently read with me. We're looking at Philippians chapter 2. And so the scripture says this in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. And I want you to patiently read with me because I'm going to read all the way through verse number 30. The scripture says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice of service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus, that's talking about Timothy, shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally, that's an important word, who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him that as a son with the father, look at this, he hath served. And that's what we're talking about, serving together. He hath served with me. He served with Paul, serving together in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord 
that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send you Ephrotius, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Now, that was a very incredible man. For he longed after you and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For he indeed, he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him therefore the more carefully, that when you see him again, you may rejoice that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Now, I want you to think with me now because I've got an illustration, I think, that is a practical one, but you've got to think through it, and I think most of you can follow along with me. I don't know how many of you have had the privilege of sitting down to play a video game lately. Now, I use the word privilege facetiously because some of you, like me, in my life now, despise them. Some of you on the other hand, may be addicted to them. Believe me, video games can be addictive. Those of you with children, you need to be careful and make sure you maintenance that very well in your household. But on the other hand, listen carefully, I personally, I've not played a video game in over 30 years. That's the gospel truth. It could be longer, I don't know. But what I do know about them is that they're quite different than the ones that were around when I was a kid. When I was first introduced to video games, the only thing that existed to my knowledge was this, this black and white thing they called the tennis game. You know what I'm talking about? And they had these little, little squares. Everything was a square, square goal, square peg and square goal over here and you had these little knobs no it was no remote controls you had these little knobs and the deal was that they'd hit this little little peg thing and it would go in slow motion to the goal over here and you with your knob you had to move it up and down to try to block the shot now I don't know how many of you know what I'm talking about but that was the only thing around. And then as it started to progress, when my children came along, they had what was called Mario Brothers. Some of you have had knowledge and experience with that. Then after that, there came Nintendo. I got involved in one version over 30 years ago that was called the shark game. I don't know if any of you know what I'm talking about. 
But it's so ancient and prehistoric that just for fun and to see the expression on my grandchildren's face when I talked to them, I said, hey, let's play the shark game. And they'll ask, I can see him, what's he talking about? Of course, they have no idea what I'm talking about. Nowadays, and believe me, I had to do some juvenile research for this sermon, but I want you to listen carefully. Nowadays, as compared to when I knew anything about them, which was very microscopic, nowadays they tell me you have to download everything. You cannot just play a game, put a game in and play it anymore. It kind of goes like this. If you're going to play the game, say, for example, it has a car involved in it. This is what they tell me. You have to, before you play, and it's got a car involved, you first have to customize the car. You Then you have to select the color of the car. Then you have to pick the tires for the car that you want on it. Then you have to literally put in the suspension of the car. And before you've known it, you've spent 15 minutes before the game even starts fooling with it. Then a few years ago, and this was to my amazement as well, they introduced sporting games to this whole concept. So instead of customizing a car, they gave you the freedom to customize a player. Now, choose is the big word here, so listen, where you could choose the special abilities and the talents that these particular players would have. You could not customize him to be the fastest player on the team without him being prone to fumble the football along the, the game. You couldn't choose him to catch every pass without being slow off the line. You couldn't choose him to throw the long pass and to be able to scramble at the same time. You had to choose the best characteristics and the object was to try to improve your player over the entire season. That sounds complicated from the little tennis game I used to play a long time ago. And then it got really advanced. Sometimes you were even allowed to clone a player and to start out with that player. Now, I know I've lost about 65% of you. Believe me, this, this was not the most intriguing research that I'd I was involved in, but I kind of got the facts straight. Now, how could any of this be applied to the message today? You say, well, I, I certainly want to hear this one, preacher. This one was really a doozy. But I want to spiritualize it for a minute. Think about everything we just talked about. As I read this passage and I begin to think about the two people that are mentioned here, I thought about the church and what type of people God would choose to function within it. Now, 
first of all, he knows that we're not perfect. And he knows that we're not capable of doing everything. He knows that. In fact, when you think about this whole thing here, he didn't make us in the realm to be perfect. But if God were going to operate things like I have just described to you, if he was going to choose the starting qualities or even the most important qualities of people that were necessary to serve in the church, what kind of qualities would he sit down with and begin to choose? The question is this, how would God customize a servant? I want you to let me ask it this way and listen carefully. If you got to choose the qualities of people to serve in the church, if God allowed you to customize people to serve in the church, let me ask you this. What qualities would you choose? How would you customize a servant? Maybe perhaps you choose someone that was gifted in worship. Maybe, maybe you sat down to think about it and you, you were to say, well, I, I think I would choose somebody that's gifted in stage presentation. Or I would, I would customize somebody that was gifted in playing music. Or I would customize, I would choose somebody that was gifted to sing. Well, from a pew perspective, maybe you would choose people whose breath did not smell and you didn't mind sitting next to them. And you were saying, and this wasn't a, you, you kind of do the praise God fan thing. Maybe you would choose someone who had a beautiful smile because you knew, you just knew they were going to be the best greeter in the lobby. Maybe you choose someone who had the obvious ability to work with children. It just oozed from them. Maybe you choose someone by their own personal testimony was a great steward. You heard how God blessed them financially because of their faithfulness and tithing. But again, I ask you this, who would you choose? If God gave you the ability to customize a servant, somebody to serve in the church, and you could go through all of these ramifications that we just talked about a few moments ago, you could customize them. Maybe perhaps the most pointed question would be this. Would you choose you? And there's no easy way to preach these sermons. Would you choose you? If you had the ability, would you choose to clone yourself and have everyone else in the church serve just like you? Wow. That's a soul-searching question. I mean, how strong would the body of Christ be if everyone else was serving identically as we are right now? How strong would we be? 
I believe the question perhaps hits most of us square in the spiritual gut, but I think it would do the church well here if we deal with the places in our lives that we do not want the church to be just like ourselves. I think that the passage before us gives us a few examples of the type of people that God would choose or the type of people that God would customize or the type of people that God would put in place to become more like him as we serve side by side. So I want you to look again at Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. He says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. The first thing this morning on your bulletin is this. Number one, we will thrive serving side by side when we joyfully sacrifice and serve one another. That's imperative. One of the best ways that we can serve the body of Christ well is when we, listen to this, is when we strive to become the least most important person in the building. John said it this way, he must increase, but I must decrease. That may sound a little confusing, or it might be a confusing thought to you, but it is the truth. Think about what the Apostle Paul could have said here. He could have said, I wish I had never come to Macedonia. He could have said, because that's when things got really difficult for me. He could have said, I wish that I was not suffering this much and all of this pain. He could have said, because I went, I became a victim of injustice. He could have come up with all kinds of reasons for this, but instead he says this, and you read it. He says, I rejoice that I have been blessed to have some part in the encouragement and the growth of the church. He said to help press it forward and help to increase sacrificial faith. He was saying that even in his imprisonment, he was blessed to be able to serve the church of Jesus Christ in some way. And that's an incredible perspective. I wonder how many blessings we forfeit because we sometimes become too inwardly focused. It takes having the mind of Christ to serve under hardship. Because when we start serving and things don't go as smooth and well as we intended or we hope, we have a tendency sometimes to have a pity party to step back from it and say, Lord, I didn't sign up for this. If, if I'd have known this, I wouldn't have done that. But the bottom line of the truth of the matter is this, that the only way we are willingly and joyfully sacrificing and serving one another is for us to have the mind of Christ to have that attitude. It takes humility, and this is the thing, listen carefully, humility is the thing that enables us to serve the Lord under all circumstances and to serve one another. When we have to humble ourselves just like he did for us, and when we do that, listen, we are in the best position when we humble ourselves, we're in the best position to serve one another. It is only then 
when we learn how to sacrifice for one another. If the Apostle Paul could serve from being hundreds of miles away in his imprisonment, it should really speak volumes to us because there are certain things that we need to understand. Think about the multitudes of different ways that we can serve our church and serve our community. Think about how you can lift hands of praise and worship and encourage your neighbor in the faith and the joy of the Lord as well. Think about how you can serve in children's ministries and give someone who comes to our church with small children, they are pointed in the direction of our children's ministry by the ushers and by those that take Diligent leadership and directing them there. A family can come in. They can meet a greeter in the lobby. They can be safely escorted with their children to children's ministries. They can come back. They can sit in these pews. They can hear the singing. They can see the joy of the Lord. They can hear the word of the Lord. And they have the opportunity, while their children are being ministered to, they have the opportunity to sit in the stillness and surrender to the word. But we need more workers, more people serving in those capacities. Think about how getting to the services early and preparing for worship, coming through behind those that clean and make sure that there are these special clipboards here with pins as the service starts where we can fill out information on people that make decisions for Christ. Or make sure we don't have a toilet that's overflowing in the night and there's water all over the floor when people come to the house of God and making sure the coffee's ready and going and making sure that things are picked up and put away. Think about those kind of things. The opportunity to greet somebody with a smile when they walk into the church house. Think about the opportunity you might have to pray with somebody here at the altar at the end of the service. And these are just fractions of ways that we can serve one another on Wednesdays and Sundays, when we step out of our comfort zones. This is the thing. I think stop being inwardly focused because some of us have been stuck in a comfort zone for so long. We have no clue as to all the importance and all the things that are necessary that are going around the ministry, things that have to be put in place. And I know we have responsibilities. Some of us have children. Some of us have age. Some of us have health circumstances. But listen, all of that stuff swirls around all of it. There's nobody here living in a perfect world. All of us have issues. All of us have situations. And, te- and I tell you that if you get here just a little bit early to pick this little piece of paper up or make sure there's one here, there's a pen here, everything is ready. Ready to go. These are just fractions of ways where we begin to genuinely serve others. And when we do that, we're serving Him. Galatians 5.13 says this, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only not use liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love, look at this, serve one another. And then in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 10, the word says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Number two, we will thrive side by side when we link arms with the gospel. Recently, I was watching a Navy SEAL team in the news after one of their trainees died after completing what they call Hell Week. 
Another right behind him was hospitalized, and this is what I saw. I watched as this documentary began to unfold on this training session, and it was completely unbelievable what these brave men and women have to go through to complete these specific tasks to become a member of the Navy SEAL team. One of the main things that I do know about this vigorous training is this, that none of these individuals could survive alone. One of the most predominant images that I have as I watch those training exercises unfold is this. Those Navy SEAL team trainees, they would link their arms together, one here and it would work like that, one here and down the other, and they were wading into almost hypothermic water where they would spend the night doing all of these vigorous training exercises. The linking of their arms kept them safe, it kept them together, and it was enabling them to survive all of these strenuous exercises. And when I thought about that, I don't know how your mind works when you, because my mind, the Lord is always speaking to me about a word, either about a lesson or about a sermon or uh, something that I can use to help you. I don't know how your mind works when you are out and about during the week, but I could be in the grocery store and I could see somebody struggling with a, a small child and the Lord will speak to my heart about uh, this area and about this point and about this man. I'm constantly thinking about those things. And I was thinking about this. I wonder what it looks like when I was watching those trainees link their arms together in those frigid waters. I was wondering what it would look like if we as the body of Christ, we as born-again Christians would link our arms together with the gospel. Think with me just for a moment. I can assure you, that when you see this, it does not look individualistic because this thing of sharing the gospel is not a solo mission. And if we're going to do the gospel thing in a Christ-honoring way, which we have been commissioned to do, then we've got to see the absolute necessity of linking our arms together to get the job done wherever we live, in the community that is before us, and even the ministry of witnessing and sharing the gospel here in our church. Let me refer back to a verse we've already referenced in this series, and it's Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. The scripture says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs or I may hear of your service. I may hear of your involvement, that you stand fast in one spirit. That's talking about linking yourselves together with one mind, striving or serving together for the faith of the gospel. And this is what Paul says it means to be serving and, and standing side by side. This is what unifies us. Because listen carefully, the goal of the adversary is to divide us. That's his mission. In just a few weeks, after I finish this particular series, I've got three sermons, and I just finished vigorously working on the third one 
on Friday, but we're going to be talking about the mission statement of our church. What is the mission statement of Buford Road Baptist Church? Why do we exist? And I want us to think hard and serious about that because we do have a mission. And I assure you that the devil has one. One aspect of our mission God uses is unity. One of the aspects of the mission that the devil has is to divide us. He will try that through the stress of the world, and unfortunately, he will use people sometimes within the church to divide us. But those are circumstances and situations where we have to fortify ourselves with the whole armor of God. And I will tell you that when we are willing as a people to link our arms together for the sake of the gospel and we become obsessed with moving the gospel forward, we will find ourselves will not have time to even acknowledge the many ways that the devil will try to divide us. And number three, if you look at this very carefully, we will thrive serving side by side when we are committed to the encouragement of one another. In Philippians 2, verse 19 through 22, here's what the scripture says. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you. Again, that's in reference to Timothy. He said that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state, for I have no man like-minded. Paul was saying I have nobody that was, even in comparison with the energy and the enthusiasm and the encouragement. You know, it's, it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible witness. It's, it's a terrible thing to be around somebody who professes to be saved and all they do is complain. Do you know somebody like that? All they do is complain. I mean, it's just one thing about me and my troubles, my sorrows, my worries, my cares, my feelings, all of this stuff. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior and you glorify all of that stuff, listen, you're giving away to the devil. If you've been saved and washed in the blood, you've been given ransom and a pardon, your name has been written down in the Lamb's book of life, you've been given heaven for eternity, you've had your sins forgiven, God has placed them in the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. Listen, we may have trouble and sorrow, but we don't need to be a walking billboard for the devil. There's a lot of shout left in us. Even if you're hurting, even if you stumble, even if you're struggling, listen, you might not feel like it, but just praise God. Let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. Like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Timothy was a constant encouragement to Paul. And Paul wanted to send him back to Macedonia to be an encouragement to the church. I wonder where we would stack up on this list if Paul was considering us. Where, where would we stack up? I mean, if the assignment was given to us, if we had to choose somebody to be an encourager, Again, maybe we would choose 
the one with the biggest smile, the most with the most energy or the most enthusiastic, but those were not the qualifications. It was the one who could be the most encouraging. Probably we think of many reasons why that person could not be us. We could say, oh, preacher, I, w I wasn't made for that. I was not gifted for that. But if we were to say that, in all actuality, we will be saying that my flesh at the moment is winning over my spirit. Because the Word says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 11, Wherefore, comfort one another, or comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also ye do. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, the Bible says this, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And Hebrews 13 or 3.13 says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And so, could you choose yourself to be on the mission of encouragement? Here's what we need to remember. The Lord asks us to follow him in humility as we encourage one another. Because I will tell you, every person in here today to some degree or another, no matter how young we are, no matter how old we are, to some degree or another, every person in here today or that's serving in children's ministries or children's church ministries or in our lobby as security or whatever people is, I can assure you of this, that everyone here today is carrying some kind of burden. All of us are dealing with some kind of hurt. All of us have something that we are earnestly, fervently praying for. I mean, listen, you're, you're not just praying, Lord, let this day be good. Some of you are praying for wayward children. Some of you are praying that a loved one who is addicted in some kind of way can be set free and delivered. Some of you are praying about the ailments and physical needs that you have in your body, that if it be God's will, he would touch you with healing. Some of you are praying that God would bless you in the area of finances. But I can assure you this, there is no prayer too small for God. There is nothing too small for God. With, with God, all things are possible. So every one of us here today, whatever size package we put it in, every one of us to some degree have some sort of a problem, some sort of a burden, something that has overwhelmed us. And we have to remember this, church, we have to remember this altogether, that just because a person is able to carry themselves well, that does not mean that they do not carry heavy burdens. Yes, I do believe that as a Christian, we, we, we shouldn't hang out with moans and groans. And we shouldn't, when we get around one another, say, yeah, 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 it's just what was me. I'm, I've got this trouble. Listen, who wants to be associated with that? Even, listen, even in my own personal life, when I struggle with, with internal mechanisms of the church or 
I'm dealing with my own physical ailments. You very rarely hear me going to depth about whatever may be affecting me. When I have to be out for surgery, I will tell you I have to be out. And I will tell you that Brother David will be preaching, somebody else will be preaching. But that, you know, that's very, that's very limited. I do not harp on all of my personal struggles and troubles and trust. I could, I could give you a whole truckload of that stuff, but I choose not to do it. When you get around me, no matter how much I'm hurting and how much I may be discouraged or how much that I may be dealing with, when you come around me, I want to say, thank you for being here. Shake my hand. And I want you to feel the love of Jesus, not the defeat of my flesh. No matter what, I want to try to perk you up and lift you up. Never are we assigned to discourage one another. Paul knew that Timothy and Euphrodius, they were two individuals that knew how to get the job done. And I want to read this last scripture for you here in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 23 and 29. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently soon, so soon, as I shall see how it will go forth with me or how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send you Euphrates, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such reputation. How could we possibly be an encouragement to one another if, if we were constantly murmuring and complaining and sowing discord? In closing, I want to share this with you. I was in a, a three-way conversation with a couple of pastor friends a good while back. And one pastor leaned over to us, and he was speaking primarily to the other, and he said, and this happened a few years ago in one of their churches. He said, over the years, he said, I've had people to come in and I've had people to go out and he said all of which weren't bad by, by the way I don't know brother Fred friendly he's been here for 14 years and he's moving to Roanoke he told me that Wednesday and I said pastor I need to tell you I'm moving and we're going to send him off right here at the end of the month when he gets ready to make that move I said no Fred you can't he looked at me and he said yeah I'm moving to Roanoke I said no you're not he said, no, yes, I am. I said, well, it's impossible. I said, I refuse to let you do it. And he didn't know what to say. He looked, he wasn't going to argue with me, but he was moving to Roanoke. I said, Fred, what's wrong with you, man? He said, no, he said, my brother and his wife are there. And he said, I, I, I need to be with my family. I said, Fred, man, I'm just not letting you do it. And he said, he just hung his head down. And uh, I said, well, I'll tell you what, here's how it's going to work. I said, when you load that car up and you get in your 
vehicle and you were heading to Roanoke, I want you to look in your rearview mirror and I want you to stand there for a minute and sit there for a minute and watch your pastor cry crocodile tears. I said, well, that changed your mind. He smiled. I said, let's shake for him. And I said, I know God will guide your steps. He'll guide your heart. But people, people come, people go, and it's not always bad. He, but this preacher, he leaned over to the other one. He said, some been train wrecks in my place. He said, to this preacher, he said, I had one of your church members to show up in my service. And he said, I wanted to ask you about this because this is what they had to say. He said, those folks had some things to say. That He looked at me, he looked at this preacher and said, just didn't sound right. And so he asked the other pastor, he said, listen, are these folks coming from your church in a good place? Are they coming from church discipline? Are they coming from church rescue? Or what? What? The other preacher said, barely not. But just let me say this. He said, but if they go, if they're gone, our church would be in a much better spot. And the other pastor very quickly said, and I, and I don't think I'll ever forget this. The other preacher said, and those folks claim to be Christians. Man, that was like hot perspiration crawling all over me. Because here's the deal. And I don't say this to anybody else's flock and people and whatever, but let me say this to this church. If we call ourselves Christians, it ought to be evident. It ought to be evident in our words. And it ought to be evident in our actions by our service to the Lord and by our service one to another. I told you I had finished my verse, but I do want to share this last one with you. I'm asked Brother Adam to come. In James 1.22, the Scripture says this, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Seems like that when I preach these last six sermons, when I get to this place in the conclusion, I'll say, there it is, Lord. Man, I'm glad that one's over with. But I know I have one more. Let me say this. And I, I want to say this to all of the young families in our church, all of the young families that are listening. Some of you will watch this sermon on Tuesday or Friday of next week whenever you, you can work it out. But let me say this to all of our young families, especially those of you with children. This is a hard saying. If you ever use your children for reasons why you don't serve, be careful. Because as the Lord giveth, He taketh away. Don't ever use your children as an excuse why you don't serve the Lord.
You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at bufordroadbaptistchurch.com.